Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. We're here every Saturday night, 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning, five straight hours. And in those five hours, Lisa, we play eight, count them. That's one more than seven, one less than nine. Ooh, that was good, Carl. I was always really good at math. I could tell. I know. It was you and the math teacher, I had a crush on my math teacher, (laughs) so I paid attention in school. Right, but just to math. You know, (laughs) <laughs> it's funny because when I would go to math class, I'd sit right up front, you know, so I could be as close as I can. Did you bring a pencil? I brought my pencil. Okay. I was always prepared. I had always had my homework done. I was a really good student I in that class. Were. Then the other classes, <laughs> not so good. Well, <laughs> well, for those who keep asking us for more comedies, this is the hour for oh, you. Oh, yeah. The be- best, the two best right. comedies ever. Yeah, that's right. We're going to have the conclusion to You Bet Your Life. Then it's the Jack Benny program. It's all coming your way after this short break. Hour four of the WGN Radio Theater. And in this hour, it's the conclusion to You Bet Your Life. And then it's the Jack Benny program. Yeah, last hour, we began listening to this You Bet Your Life episode. Secret word is shoe. It's from February 7th, 1955. Here's Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life. Well, thanks to you, too. I know a great deal about Mexican food. Now, let's see if you know a great deal about these questions. You've got to run your $20 into more than our other couples, and you'll get a chance at the $1,500. As to DeSoto Plymouth, big question. Fenneman's offstage to remind our listeners how much the first couple won. The young mother and the grandfather won $175. Let's see how high I can build your $20. You selected fictional crime solvers. Here's your first question. You have $20. How much are you going to go for? Talk right up, oh, Katie. No, not too high. Ten. 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 Ten dollars. Ten dollars? Ten dollars. Ten dollars, huh? All right. Sir, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle created what detective? Uh, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is right. And you're on your way. You have thirty dollars. All right, you got thirty bucks. You're going for fifteen hundred dollars tonight. How much is the thirty you you're going to bet? Talk up. Twenty-five. 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 <laughs> How much would that be in pesos? Oh, that's a big figure, mister. I mean... Well, you got a big figure, too. <laughs> How much would that be in pesos? I have to get my pencil. This, uh... You have to get your pencil? What kind of time? How much is that in pesos? One dollar is eight dollars. No, you figure it up. I'm not from Mexico, huh? That's a lot of money. Oh, it's a lot of money, huh? No, I don't have figures. Oil Dad Biggers created a portly Chinese detective who was the father of a large family. Who is it? Charlie Chan. Charlie Chan is right. <laughs> Now you're trying to $55. All right, you got 55 bucks. Here's your third question. How much are you going to bet? 50. Talk up, 50. Katie. 50. 50. This is really the melting pot, isn't 50. it? 50. 50. 50. 50. $50 you're going to bet? Now, how much is that in pesos? All right, uh, Dashiell Hammett created a tough private detective with a secretary named Effie. He was also on the radio. Who is it? Sam Spade. Sam Spade is right. (laughs) Now you have $105. That little Irish lass is a pretty shrewd cookie. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much are you going to bet at $105? What? 
Oh. Oh. Yes. Oh. Won't we bet all? No. <laughs> I want to have a car fare to go home. I'll give it to you. Let's bet it all. Katie will give you a car fare to go home. Yes. How much you going to bet? Okay. How much? Where do you live? Where do you live? He well, lives in San Diego. All right. Let's bet it all. Okay. Yes. You're going to bet $105? Now, how much is that in Mexican peso? <laughs> Want to figure. I want you oh, to figure that out. Oh, that's 860 pesos. And uh, let's see, it's 860. It's uh, 900 and close to 1,000 pesos. That is... That's, you'd be loaded in Mexico, oh, huh? I'd be a man over there. You'd, I mean, be, you'd, be, you'd be a, a big shot over mister, there. Mister, mister. Okay, you'd be a mister. Here we go. Earl Stanley Gardner created a lawyer who solves crimes. His secretary is Della Street. Who is it? Perry Mason. Perry Mason is right. <laughs> Also won two hundred and ten dollars. Uh, <laughs> how much is that in pesos? Uh, I mean, I'm gonna have to get my pencil. <laughs> All right, we'll see you later, kids. Uh, you stick around now, huh? Uh, Groucho, secret word is still shoe. Uh, we invited some airline hostesses and some jockeys to the program tonight. Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Dorothy Goff, Mr. Gordon Glisson, and here they are, folks. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, young sister. You bet your life. You say the secret word, you'll divide $100. It's a common word, something you have with you. An airline hostess and a, and a jockey, yeah? Miss, Miss Dorothy Goff, is that, is that right? That's right. Well, where are you from? Uh... I'm from Seattle, Washington. Uh-huh. And uh, somebody out there from Spokane. <laughs> <laughs> you live in L.A. now, Dorothy? Yes, I do. Uh-huh. Which of the airlines do you, do you work for, Dorothy? I work for Western Airlines. Uh-huh. You're the, you're the jockey, Gordon? I'll call you Gordon, huh? Yes, sir. Uh, where are you from? Uh... I'm from Winterboro, South Carolina. Are you married? No, sir. How old are you, Gordon? Twenty. Twenty, yes. What's your age, uh, Dorothy? I'm 22. You're 20 and you're, t- you're 22, huh? You want to know how old I am? Yes, how old are you? I'm not going to tell. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to see if you care. That <laughs> how, how, uh, how tall are you, uh... Dorothy. I'm five foot four and a half. Uh-huh. And you, uh, how tall are you? Uh, I'm about four foot eleven. See, you're just about the right size for each other. It's amazing how I get these perfect matches. <laughs> you're a very attractive girl, Dorothy. Are all airline hostesses as uh, pretty as you are? Well, the company makes it a point to hire girls on the attractive side. <laughs> Well, I don't know which is your attractive side, but there's nothing... There's certainly nothing wrong with the one I'm looking at. Why do the airlines insist on attractive hostesses? Well, they think it's good for business. Well, it is. There's nothing like an attractive hostess to keep a man up in the air. (laughs) Now, is there anything about your passengers, Dorothy, that, that annoys you? Uh, yes. Passengers who don't what? abide by the rules, such as... Such as what? Not fastening their seat belts and getting on board with liquor, smoking cigars and pipes when they <laughs> are only supposed to smoke cigarettes. You mean I can't smoke my cigar on your plane? Well, we use discretion and... Uh... Well, I use tobacco. I, mean, <laughs> I find it's far superior than discretion. 
If you don't annoy the lady passengers, you may. You mean I can smoke cigars if I don't annoy the lady passengers? That's right. <laughs> well, in that case, I won't smoke my cigar. I'd much rather annoy the women passengers. I didn't know there was a choice. Eh? <laughs> By the way, Gordon, where, where do you do your riding? Uh, right now, I'm riding at Santa Anita. Uh-huh. Did you always ride at Santa Anita? No, sir, I ride... Uh, I have ridden practically every uh, track in the country, and... Is that I'd, so? I'd yes. like to see you ride the Santa Fe track to Albuquerque. Now, <laughs> <laughs> as a jockey, what about you, Gordon? I, I presume you've had many thrilling experiences, haven't you? What's the biggest thrill you ever had? I guess uh, the biggest... One of the biggest thrills I ever had was uh, being leading rider of the country last year. You were the leading uh, rider of the country? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, well, I'd have much more respect for you had I known that. Right? <laughs> I thought you were just an apprentice jockey. <laughs> How about it, Dorothy? Are you beginning to feel uh, romantically inclined towards this young squid? <laughs> Am I doing a good job of bringing you two together? I think I like him a little older, a little taller, and more in my line of work. I see. Gordon, is, is there good money in horse racing? For example, how much does a top jockey earn in a year? Well, most of the top riders earn anywhere from 75000 to 100000 a year. Really? Yes, sir. Did, uh, were you aware of that, Dorothy? No, I wasn't. <laughs> Gordon, as far as Dorothy is concerned, you just aged a couple of years. <laughs> and in a couple of feet in height, and she just loves horses. <laughs> Dorothy, I'm only kidding. I know you're not interested in a man who makes a... Paltry $100,000 a year. No. It's just chicken feed, a paltry 100000 Paltry 100000 just chicken feed, a paltry 100000 If you think you're going to escape from that joke, you're a man. Eh? <laughs> By the way, that's some animal crackers. The Mexican weather report, chilly today and hot tamale. I didn't get any laugh at all. <laughs> didn't get much better this time. Either. I guess there's not much interest in the Mexican weather up here. Well, thanks to you two, I know all about horses and airplanes. And in the future, I'll be sure to keep both feet on the ground, and I hope you two are very happy together. Uh, let's see how well you make out on the quiz. You run your $20 into more than the other couples, and you'll get a chance at the $1,500 question. I can't tell you how much the other couples won, but Fenneman's off stage to remind our listeners. The Mexican chef and the housewife are leading with $210. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build your $20. You selected capitals of states. And here is Fenneman, the valiant. Now, how much are you going to bet on the first question? Five. $5? What is the capital of Colorado? Denver. Denver right. Well, you're on your way. You have $25. Remember, now you're going for $1,500 tonight. How much of your 15 are you going to bet on your second question? No, 25. 25 they have. How much are you going to bet on your second question? Shows you how much attention I pay to you. 20. 20? What's it? 15. Fifteen. What is the capital of South Carolina? Columbia. Columbia is right. <laughs> you have forty dollars now. Forty dollars. Here's your third question. How much are you going to bet? How much you have? Forty. Twenty. Twenty. 20. What is the capital of New Hampshire? Mm. See? Talking over. Talking over. <laughs> I don't know. You've been flying the wrong route. <laughs> I have. I'm sorry, it's conquered. You now have $20. Oh, well, you only got $20. It's your last chance to be the other couples. You're coming on the rail now. You're on the inside and you're coming through there, Gordon. It's your last chance. What is the capital of New York? Albany. Albany is right. 
$20? You wind up with $40. You wound up with $40, and that means that the, the big... Mexican chef and the housewife with $210. How much is that in peso? <laughs> Get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question. See you later, kids. Stick around for the big money, yeah? It's here. It's new. It's designed for you, DeSoto. Yes, here's a car that's really different this year. The 1951 DeSoto. With more new beauty, more new power, more new riding comfort than ever before. Every luxury, every convenience, every economy has been designed into this finest of fine DeSotos. To give you the driving pleasure you've always dreamed about. Yet the new DeSoto, the car that's really new and different, costs very little more than the very lowest price cars. And it lets you drive without shifting. DeSoto gives you chair-high seats, big 12-inch brakes, waterproof ignition, new-type automatic choke, increased visibility, and most wonderful of all, the ride's a revelation, thanks to the amazing cushioning action of the new Auraflow shock absorbers. The news is getting around fast. DeSoto is the really new car of 1951. That's why folks all over are flocking to see the 51 DeSoto. That's a revelation to ride. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell the great new Plymouth. Here comes the winning couple, Groucho. The Mexican chef and the housewife all set for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,500 question. You know, if you should win this money, you're going to have to tell me how much this is in pesos. <laughs> well, maybe you better throw it. <laughs> all right, here we go. Here we go for $1,500. I give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you. Think carefully. And no help from the audience. Here it is. A girl named Mary Ball became the mother of a famous American. For $1,500, tell me, who was Mary Ball's son? All right, what is the answer you two have decided upon? Douglas for Bank Jr. No, no, I'm sorry. It's George Washington. You're away. Oh. <laughs> the correct answer is George Washington. So that means the big question next week will be worth $2,000. Well, you lost the big money, but you won uh, how much? $210. $210 in the quiz. Congratulations and thanks to both of you and to all of our contestants on the show tonight. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, when the big question will be worth $2,000. And don't miss Groucho's television show, also presented by the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. Good night, folks, and remember... Now just be sure to visit your DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Folks, here's a reminder from the National Safety Council. Start your car with your garage doors open and warm up outside. You Bet Your Life, transcribed from Hollywood, is produced by John Goodell. 
Directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. And that's You Bet Your Life, February 7th, 1955. Secret word is shoe, starring Groucho Marx and uh, his sidekick there, George Fenneman, that was participating sponsors on that. Hope you enjoyed, and I'm sure you did. Groucho oh, Marx on You Bet best. Your Life. All right, it's time now for a half-hour episode of Jack Benny, one of the most beloved American entertainers of the 20th century. He was born right here in Chicago, grew up in Waukegan, and uh, he started in vaudeville doing, like, violin playing and telling jokes and things, and then he was a guest on Ed Sullivan's radio show. It was such a hit that Canada Dry... Ginger Ale offered him his own regular time slot, and then he was on the air all the way until the 1950s with probably one of the most successful shows on radio. And then he made a very successful transition to television. He brought his entire cast, you know, Phil Harris, Don Wilson, Mary Livingston, Dennis Day, all of his regulars made the transition to TV. And then he made a lot of motion pictures in that time. I mean, who doesn't love Jack Benny? We have an episode for you now going back to May 4th, 1941. This is even before World War II started, going way back. This is Jack's 10th anniversary on radio. NBC celebrates with him. Here's uninterrupted now, the Jack Benny program. The Jell-O program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you one of Hollywood's most versatile movie stars whose new picture has just gone into production. An actor whose roles extend from leading man in Love Thy Neighbor to leading lady in Charlie's Aunt, Jack Benny. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Jalal again, this is Jack Benny talking. And, Don, you were a little confused in your introduction. You see, in the picture I'm making now, Charlie's aunt, I'm really a man. I, uh, I merely masquerade as a woman. Oh, I see. Well, that's a rather difficult assignment, isn't it, Jack? Oh, it is. It is. You see, Don, the uh, picture takes place around 1890, and I never realized how uncomfortable women's dresses were in those days. Boy, they had more contraptions. Leg of mutton sleeves, tight collars, seven petticoats. Yes, they were pretty complicated. By the way, Jack, does your dress have a bustle on it? A bustle? I think so, Don. It can't be me. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't mind that, Don. The thing I really object to is that darn corset I have to wear. So tight and hot and always sticking in my ribs. You know, mine does that, too. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) So I finally got it out of you. You admit that you wear a corset, eh, Don? Well, the little woman thought it was a good idea. It helps my figure and takes an inch off my stomach. An inch? Yes. Don, taking one inch off your stomach is like taking a clam away from Pismo Beach. 
<laughs> anyway, anyway, wear it in good health. <laughs> but getting back to my costume, Don, I... Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. What are you talking about? Uh, corset. Well, that lets me out. <laughs> I mean the corset I wear in my picture. And Don... Don, listen. There's one thing I found out about women's clothes in those days. Excuse me, Mary. I want to go over and talk to Don. <laughs> okay, boy. Don. Don, you'll never believe it. What is it, Jack? Long pants. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding, Don. The, uh, the ones I wear go clear down to my ankles. <laughs> But I'll tell you something about my costume, Don. I look cute as the dickens in it. I wear a black dress, a lace shawl, and a wig with long gray curls. Uh, do they go down to your ankles, too? Mary, I'm playing a woman, not a French poodle. <laughs> if you could bark, I'd bet on you. Oh, stop. I look very attractive in that outfit. And you know, Don, it's amazing how I fool everybody around the studio. They think I'm really a woman. Doesn't anybody think you're a poodle? No, nobody but you. <laughs> Uh, get this, Don I was walking around the lot the other day All dressed up in my costume And Jack Oakey pulled alongside of me in his car And said, uh, how about going out for a spin, babe? Oh, he didn't recognize you, huh? No, well, anyway, I thought I'd rib him a little So I got in the car and we drove off No kidding, he, he really fell for it What happened, Jack? I walked home from Santa Monica <laughs> So I'll either have to get another picture or roller skate. It's terrible. By the way, Jack, is Charlie Zand a Paramount picture? Uh, no, Don. I'm making this one for 20th Century Fox. You see, I'm signed at three different studios now. Paramount, Fox, and Warner Brothers. Well, that's odd. Why should three studios want you? They don't. They toss them around like a hot potato. <laughs> they do nothing at the kind. Now, you were at the studio, Mary, and you know very well... And when I walked into Mr. Zanuck's office the other day, he gave me a wonderful reception. Some reception. He said, I'm busy. See me later. He said, I'm busy. Please see me later. <laughs> <laughs> He's a swell guy. Believe me. Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello, Mr. Benny. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Dennis, this is Mother's Day, but that was meant for a rib. I don't like it. Oh, I wasn't ribbing, Mr. Benny. You know, you've been like a mother to me ever since I've been on this program. Oh. Gee, you've taken care of me, you've always inspired me, and you've encouraged me in my work. Well. And you've even been kind enough to save my money for me. <laughs> oh, forget it, Dennis. I'm glad to do it. Nothing at all. I'm keeping track, Bob. <laughs> All right, keep track. I'm only doing it for your own good. When summer comes along, you'll be able to take a little trip somewhere. You know, we'll be off the air in three more weeks. Oh, yeah. Hey, Mr. Benny, where are you going on your vacation this summer? Jack Oakey is taking him to Honolulu. Now, cut that out. <laughs> and don't be silly. I haven't decided yet, Dennis, but I may go... Hiya, Jackson. 
Oh, hello, Bill. I'm sure sorry I missed that big banquet NBC gave you, but I was playing that night in Pasadena. Well, we missed you too, Bill. Yeah, Phil, we certainly had a wonderful time. Well, I tried to get out of my engagement, but the manager said okay so fast I went right into a number. <laughs> I don't blame you, but you sure missed a swell party. You know, I look pretty nifty in my full-dress suit. <laughs> Say, Phil, you should have been there when Jack was introduced. Boy, was he embarrassed. Well, accidents will happen. You know. What was it, Mary? When Jack took a bow, his shirt flew up and shoved a cigar right down his throat. <laughs> well, that's nothing to laugh at. I could hardly go on with my speech. That was nothing to laugh at either. <laughs> I did all right, sister. Anyway, it was a grand testimonial, and I appreciate it. Say, Jackson, did you hear the wonderful tribute Fred Allen gave you last Wednesday? Tribute? Certainly I heard it. What do you mean, tribute? He did your biology, didn't he? <laughs> That's biography. Biology is with the bees. <laughs> Alan was supposed to eulogize me for 60 minutes, and he practically ignored me. And after all I've done for that guy. What have you ever done for Alan? What have I... Did you hear that, Mary? When Alan first broke into show business, who gave him a friendly pat on the back? You did. Yeah, who gave him advice? You did. Who gave him money when he needed it? You did? <laughs> yes, I did. And that shows you how grateful Alan is. Well, that's all you can expect from that guy. Phil, how about a band number so I can get good and mad? Okay, Jackson, we're going to play it. Never mind, thing. play it. Who cares? I'm going to get even with Opie, too. Go ahead, Phil. Hold it a minute, I'll take it. Hello? Oh, Mr. Benny, this is Rochester. Oh, what do you want? Well, due to conditions beyond my control, I'll be unable to pick you up this evening. You can't pick me up, why not? Well, I was on my way to the studio and the Maxwell broke down. I think the heat got it. The heat? Well, there must be a leak in the radiator. See if you can find it. Find it? I can't even duck it. <laughs> Rochester, I don't want to have to take a cab home. Now, where are you calling from? Just a second. Where are we, Mabel? <laughs> Mabel, what is this? Rochester, where are you? I'm calling from the Central Avenue. Our ribs will tickle you barbecue pit. <laughs> well, let me ask you something. What are you doing on Central Avenue with a girl when you're supposed to pick me up? If you could see Mabel, you'd forgive me, boss. She's TNT from Tennessee. I imagine. She's really... What's that, honey? Correction, boss. Mabel's name is Magnolia. I don't care what her name is. I want you over here, so get out of that barbecue stand and fix that car. But, boss... You're not afraid to get a little grease on your hands, are you? I don't think so. I just tucked away seven plates of ribs. Well, I'm not going to argue with you, Rochester. Get over here right away. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, say, boss. Now what? That was a nice gold watch they gave you at the banquet the other night. Yes, it's beautiful. What are you going to do with your old watch? Oh, I don't know. I guess I'll give it to you. Thanks. You can keep it, Magnolia. What? <laughs> so long, boss. That boy doesn't waste any time. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the National Broadcasting Company is taking over the remainder of this evening's Jell-O show for a special program which they have prepared. 
May I now introduce to you my good friend, Ken Carpenter. Thanks, Don. Ladies and gentlemen, last Friday night, NBC had a special program dedicated to Jack Benny's 10th anniversary on the air. For that particular occasion, a musical tribute to Jack had been prepared, but due to a limitation of time, we were unable to include this in the broadcast. However, we feel that you, Jack Benny's listeners, would like to hear this salutation. So if Jack and the rest of the cast will take seats in the audience, we will proceed with the life of Jack Benny in music. Okay, let's go. Forty-seven years ago, Waukegan, Illinois, was a little-known settlement boasting a few scattered stores, one of which was owned by one Meyer Benny. There was much excitement around Mr. Benny's store the day we start our story, easily explained by the cries of the newsboys on the neighboring street. Extra! Extra! A message from the store! Mr. Benny found a baby boy when he came home from work. He's proudly handing out cigars and boasting he will be the father of a president in 1903. The father of a president in 1903. As Jack remembers only too well, his father's predominant characteristic was strictness. He was the sort of a man who regarded the raising of a youngster as stern, stern business. On the occasion of bringing his first report card home from school, we find Jack approaching his father with considerable alarm. Let me look at your report card, Jack, my boy. Jack, my boy. I am sure my heart will overflow with joy. Flow with joy. What's this? English C. Algebra D. History D. Geography F. He draws his map in the treble clip. Scholarship four, deportment four, scholarship four, deportment four. I just can't do a thing with him. He won't study, he won't work. I can't make him concentrate. He'll be the death of me, a bad influence. Thinks of music all the time. Music. Deportment four, scholarship four, deportment four. What's this? Music A. Music A. Yes, Jack's main interest as a child was the violin. He hated to practice, but he loved to play, especially with his devoted grandmother for an audience. She would sit for hours in the cold parlor alone on the row of chairs that was supposed to represent the audience while her grandson played show for her. He played comedian. Who was that lady? I say he was there with no lady. Magician. Now watch me very closely. I have nothing up my sleeve. Dancer. Singer. Waukegan, praise the bunny. Violinist. In spite of his intense dislike for practice, Jack soon attained sufficient skill to play in the junior orchestra of Waukegan, and occasionally in a real-for-sure dance orchestra in one of the neighboring towns. Then, suddenly, out of a clear blue sky the bolt fell. Jack was expelled from high school for spending his afternoons in a vaudeville theater. Yes, they threw out our hero, alas and alas. The burdens of school were too much for poor Jack. He much preferred to hang around the Barrison Theater, worshipping the ingenue and wondering what they paid her. He got a job as doorman so he could watch the stars emerging from this wondrous place and help them to their cars. He got in the orchestra after a bit And played violin with the boys in the pit From his seat in the orchestra pit, Jack reveled in the imposing array of stars of that year. The Marx Brothers, Marilyn Miller, Joe Cook, Chick Sale, all the big-time acts played there. 
When the theater closed some months later, the leader of the orchestra, Cora Salisbury, asked Jack to join her in a violin and piano act. He consented, and a new act was born. Salisbury and Benny from Grand Opera to Ragtime. Benny's apprenticeship was served in musty old theaters with a few worn pieces of scenery, a two-piece orchestra in the pit, cramped dressing room in the cellar, rats that ate the grease paint right off the shelves, but he loved it. Four years of this until a family illness called Cora back to Waukegan. Jack's adventure was over. There was nothing for him to do but to go to work in his father's store. He waited on the customers with his mind a million miles away. Some pink and white suspenders, please. My brother needs a pair. Gosh, Eva Tangway, singing I Don't Care. Have you any black silk socks of size 11, please? Jolson was sensational singing Mammy on his knee. Selling men's apparel only filled young Jack with loathing. He wanted to be next to closing instead of next to clothing. Dissatisfied as a salesman, Jack began to look around for a new partner. Friends told him of a great piano player in Chicago, and they formed an act. Benny and Woods, ten minutes of syncopation. The act went so well that by the third season, they received an offer from one of New York's biggest agents. He not only agreed to handle them in New York, but proceeded to put them immediately into that mecca of all vaudevillians, the palace. New York, 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 New York. Now every act that's ever been from Jacksonville to Chickapin has always wanted to be in the palace. Though they're a wow and canker key and get a raise in salary, their ultimate goal will always be the palace. We'll kill them in the palace, we'll slay them in the palace, we'll wow them in the palace, we'll lay them in the aisles. They'll love us in the palace, they'll cheer us in the palace. <laughs> in the palace. Some performers are doomed forever to be second-raters, never to reach the big time. Violinist Jack Benny was one of these. He would never succeed. Well, it was after Jack joined the Navy that he discovered himself to be a comedian. There was nothing mysterious about it. He appeared in the Great Lakes Review, and the author, Dave Wolf, gave him a few lines to speak, and people laughed at him, that was all. When the war ended, Jack went back to Baldville, but as a single this time, emphasizing comedy and using the violin just to fill out the act. Not long after that, Jack fell in love. He was wandering around the May Company in Los Angeles one day in search of a new... I, I, I beg your pardon, but where can I find men suits? Four aisles over and three aisles down. Well, well, thank you. Oh, uh, by the way, what do you sell? I sell ladies' hosiery and things. Oh, oh, yes, I, I just remember that that's what I need, some ladies' hosiery and things uh, for uh, uh, my, my sister. Really? 
Can I help you in your selection? Uh, definitely. Here and when I buy my suit and, and whenever I need anything else. Ha, ha, ha. That's fine. That's just fine. Guess what her name was. Guess what her name was. My name was Mary Marks that day that Benny bought his suit. But now I'm Mary Livingston and Mrs. Benny DeBoot. Her name is Mary Livingston and Mrs. Benny DeBoot. As Mrs. Jack Benny, Mary tried hard to forget the comfortable security she'd given up for a portable existence in hotels and trains, but she was pretty unhappy the first year, packing, unpacking, checking in, checking out. Whenever Jack would play a town that Mary thought was swell, she'd find a nice apartment and fix it up real well, and just when she'd begin to think that they were there to stay... Jack would get up boating 1,500 miles away. One day he got an offer to do a Broadway show. That's for me, said Mary. Just say the word. Let's go. We'll get a nice apartment near Central Park, and then we'll hope and trust and pray we'll never have to move again. So Jack assumed the starring role in Carol's Vanities, and they were sitting pretty, as pretty as you please. But just when they had signed a lease and paid the bills they owed, the Vanities closed its New York run. And went out on the road. So Jack turned to radio as a solution to his problem. He auditioned and auditioned and auditioned to no avail. Finally, the New York columnist Ed Sullivan invited Jack to make a guest appearance on his program. A far cry from his familiar Jello again, these are the first words that Jack Benny ever uttered on the air. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Jack Benny talking. There will be a slight pause while you say, who cares? <laughs> you know, Ed, I, I just got in from Hollywood, but I'm going back in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be in a new picture with Greta Garbo. They sent me the story last week, and it's a very novel idea. When the picture first opens, I'm found dead in the bathroom. <laughs> it's, uh, it's sort of a mystery picture. I'm found in the bathtub on Wednesday night. <laughs> It wasn't long before Jack had his first sponsor, Canada Drive. And that was the start of a career almost unsurpassed in radio. He had swell help at first from writer Harry Kahn. But in recent years, his authors have been Bill Morrow and Ed Boulogne. And let us not forget Harry Baldwin, Jack's faithful secretary, who's been with him ever since his early days in radio. Most of America listens on Sunday nights to hear the familiar strains of... J-E-L, hello to you. J-E-L, hello to you. You'll hear this old familiar sound on every Sunday night When Jack Benny comes around to make your Sabbath bright J-E-L, hello to you Means half an hour of fun that's new He'll tell you how he killed him at a Wednesday matinee Complain about the awful salaries that he has to pay No matter what he talks about, you're glad to hear him say J-E-L, hello to you We must have music, so play, Bill you're okay, Bill, you know the way, Bill He murders the English language and he panics all the dames He plays the kind of music a jitterbug acclaims And then he found out long ago you simply can't embarrass Bill Harris We must have a singer, so sing Benny, your fans are many, so sing Benny He's as Irish as a shillelagh Yeah Shillelagh. And he hits a high C daily. Yeah, daily. Whenever Jack puts on a play, the boy that plays the menace is Dennis. We must have an announcer, so sell Don. Do it well, Don. 
give him Don. He weighs a cool 265 and Benny loves to kid him. It must have been those six delicious flavors that undid him. But when they need a man to push the Maxwell up the hill, son, it's Wilson. We must have a comedian, so here's Mary. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. She reads the most outrageous poems that you have ever heard. And when she isn't doing that, she's giving Jack the bird. The one who has Jack Benny on the verge of Harry Carey is Mary. We must have a butler, so bring on Rochester. I'm coming, boss. Bring on Rochester. He's a dusky devil, but on the level, he's really a wonderful yes man. His main concern is he'd like to learn what happened to the gas man. There's always a crowd around him asking for autographs. Jack and Mary do all the work and he gets all the laughs. The folks back in Waukegan, there's a sort of testimonial. Planted a tree for Jack one day in manner ceremonial. Now this made quite a hit with Jack, and proudly he would boast, but the poor tree died. Fred Allen says it's because the sap was on the coal. J-E-L, hello to you. J-E-L, hello to you. When Jack does his programs away from home, you may have heard him say just before signing off... Good night, Joni. Joni is his baby girl, and Jack carries her picture and brags about her just like any proud father. And so on his 10th anniversary in radio, we pay tribute to a man who has consistently topped the list of radio comedians. A man who has made the world laugh and laughs at the world. A man who still remembers the friends he made on the way up. Comedian, star maker, and good fellow... Jack Benny! Jack Benny! Jack Benny, please say hello to Thanks to NBC and you, Ken Carpenter, and to Gordon Jenkins for a swell job of directing. And thanks to all the others who participated. Really was a thrill, and I got a big kick out of it. I'm sure my cast did, too. The last number of the 32nd program in the current Jello series, and we'll be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. This has been a pretty hectic week for me, ladies and gentlemen. I have so many people to thank, I don't know where to begin. However, I would like to express my gratitude to those who appeared on the NBC program Friday night. Claudette Colbert, Herbert Marshall, the Quiz Kids, Eddie Cantor, Ed Sullivan, Ole Olson, Ed Thorgerson, and Alois Hebrilla. Thanks a million. Well, Mary, I'm pretty tired. I think I'll go home. Where's my hat? I threw it away. It doesn't fit you anymore. Oh, yes. Good night, folks. <laughs> hey, we thank the Signal Oil Company for the services of Gordon Jenkins this evening. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And that's the Jack Benny program from May 4th, 1941, Jack's 10th anniversary on radio. Jack Benny and all his gang hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break, then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. 
Hey, Lisa, I want to tell everyone listening about Matt Burdine and his store, Burdine's Jewelry, because at Burdine's, you can sell your fine jewelry, turn it into hard, cold cash. I did that with a couple of watches, and all you have to do is go to his website, Burdine's, B-U-R, D-E-E-N-S, and uh, check it out. There's all kinds of great jewelry there. You can buy jewelry. You can refurbish jewelry. And best of all, you can sell your fine jewelry, turn it into cash. You know, I I had some pieces. I didn't wear them anymore. Why let them sit in a safety deposit box collecting dust? I'm sure a lot of our listeners have fine jewelry that they haven't worn in a long, long time. Turn it into cash. He also offers FaceTime and phone consultations if you don't want to go into the store. And if you mention this radio show, he'll give you a free appraisal. That's right. What a deal. Yep. You could call Matt directly, 1-800-875-4418. That's 1-800-875-4418. Or go to his website, Burdines, B-U-R-D-E-E-N-S dot com. And I trust Matt Burdine. I have sent my friends and family to him. And me. And yep. you sent me to him. And well, he you're seems one of my friends. Kind of, I yeah. guess. Sort yeah. of. Now <laughs> and then. <laughs> but you liked Matt. And uh, everyone I sent to him... They're very, very happy. So, folks, do give them a call, 800-875-4418. Mention this radio show. Get a free appraisal. In our next hour, it is the Screen Director's Playhouse starring Tony Martin in Cosba. Then Frank Lovejoy stars in Guest Star from 1952. That's all coming your way after the news. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. My co-host, Lisa Wolf, is here. Mike Costella is here. We're all here. And we're bringing you these classic radio shows every single Saturday night from 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning. We play eight of your favorite classic radio shows. In this hour, it is the Screen Director's Playhouse from 1949, starring Tony Martin in Cosba. Then we'll have a quarter-hour episode of Guest Star starring Frank Lovejoy. That is all coming your way after this short break. Hour 5 of the WGN Radio Theater, and it's time now for the Screen Director's Playhouse. On this series, which came to radio in 1949, leading Hollywood stars performed in radio adaptations of their popular movies with the added element of director participation. Now, the director of the film would introduce the movie and make a curtain call to chat with the stars right after the broadcast. Now, the directors included Alfred Hitchcock, John Ford, Frank Capra, and Billy Wilder, to name a few. This series aired on NBC, and it made a transition to television in 1955 for one season. I don't know how they can show a movie on a live television broadcast, but they did. They did it on Lux Radio right, Theater, too. Right. I don't even know how they turned that into a radio show. Yeah, that's on Lux, quite a feat. It was called Lux Video Theater, you know. But a lot of these types of radio shows that turned into TV shows air on Antenna TV, so make sure you watch that. All right, time now for Screen Director's Playhouse with Cosba from July 22nd, 1949. This stars Tony Martin. Here it is, Uninterrupted.
From Hollywood, Pabst Blue Ribbon, finest beer served anywhere, proudly presents... Screen Directors Playhouse, production Casbah, director John Barry, stars Tony Martin, Marta Torrin... Hollywood screen directors present a romance on the edge of danger. The musical adventure, Casbah, starring Tony Martin and Marta Torrin, and introduced by the director of the film, Mr. John Barry. Tonight, our guest screen director is a young man who entered show business at the age of four and spent the next 25 years making up for lost time. He did it by blazing his way to Hollywood as a stage actor and director to create such entertaining films as Miss Susie Schlegel's From This Day Forward and tonight's story, Casbah. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Barry. Thank you. When we made Casbah, we hoped it would be a film that was a little different. A kind of realistic light opera. A modern tale from the Arabian Nights set the music. But most of all, we hoped it would entertain you. Now that wish remains as we present Casbah on the air. Starring Tony Martin and Marta Torin in their original roles of Pepe Lamoco and Gabby Treno. Casbah. You say to me, Inspector Slimane, why do you look so sad? You are a fine police officer. Tonight, the authorities of Algiers celebrate your victory. Well, let them celebrate. For me, the game is over. Let me tell you, some may choose to regard Pepe Limoco as only a thief, but he was a magnificent thief and such a romantic man, a singer of songs, a lover of women, a man of great qualities, a man to be loved and to be hated. Certainly he was hated by the police of the world, but here, here in the Caspar, he was safe. A king guarded by the 50,000 souls of the native quarter. You're in fine voice today, Pippi. It's a fine world, Slomane, even for a policeman. So you stand on your balcony and sing. Look around you, Pippi. Look down into the casbah. It locks you up like a prison. I have everything I want. Friends, a woman, money. What else do I need? Who knows? A change of scenery, perhaps. Palace? <laughs> and a jail cell? Don't laugh, Pippi. Someday you'll leave the casbah. I'll see to that. And when you do, Pepe, the police will be waiting. I'll be waiting. Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye, Slimane. Let me go! I have to see Pepe! My son, stay here! He's busy! You murdering monkey! Inez, Moro, what's going on there? You're stangling your Moro! 
He wouldn't let me see you. Inez, you have to be patient with Morrow. He protects me. Do you need protection from me, Pepe? Inez, my sweet, my love, my blossom. No, 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 Pepe, wait, no. Just one kiss. No, no. Now, talk. Oh, Pepe. Omar, the guide, brings two tourists tonight to the Casbah. To that nightclub. A man and a woman. A beautiful woman? You. The man is very wealthy. And the woman, she has many diamonds. Oh, Inez. Diamonds are such a responsibility. Perhaps we should uh, relieve her of the responsibility. Hmm? <laughs> Tonight at Odette's. Don't you think we've had quite enough of Odette's, Gabby? It's growing late. Whatever you wish, Claude. <laughs> I hope you're not leaving. I... I beg your pardon? It'll be dangerous, madame, to go through the cars by this late, wearing such diamonds. Not madame, monsieur. Mademoiselle. Mademoiselle Trenot. And your, uh, friend? Monsieur Durand, my fiancé. Charmed. Are there thieves in the Casbah, monsieur? Uh, Pepe, Pepe Limoco. Yes, there are thieves who steal uh, many things. Claude, how exciting. Would your fiancé mind if I asked you to dance? Now, now, see here. You must be polite, Claude. Uh, but, uh, but, Gabby, I... I uh... The jewels you're wearing, you know they're completely wasted on a person like you. Indeed. When a woman's beauty outdazzles her diamonds, they're useless. Very gallant, Monsieur Lemoco. But I prefer to keep them, nevertheless. Ah, the lady knows me. Pepe Lemoco, stealer of jewels, stealer of hearts. <laughs> I might steal yours. My jewels? Your heart. A woman's heart is not for any man, Monsieur. Even in the Casbah. Even in the Casbah, Mademoiselle. For every man, there's a woman. For every man, there's a woman. For every life, there's a plan. Wise men know it was ever so since the world began that a woman was made for man. Where is she? Where is the woman for me? For every prince, there's a princess. For every Joe, there's a Joe. And if you wait, you will meet the maid born for you alone. Happy to be your own. Where is she? Where is the woman for me? Find the one, find the one. Then together you will find the sun. For every heart there's a moment. For every hand a God. And for every woman a man to love. Where is she? Where is the one for me? 
seem to have danced onto the terrace. We'd better go back. Do you really want to go? I, I... Please, please don't. Gabby. Here. Wouldn't you rather take my bracelet? It's very expensive. It isn't expensive enough. Well, I... Good night. Gabby. Yes? Next time we meet, I'll take that kiss. Or a more expensive bracelet. Hello, Pepe. Why, it's Lemaine. Pepe, I'm surprised at you. Why didn't you take the lady's bracelet? Inspector, I've taken so many bracelets. This time, I think I'd rather take the kiss. <laughs> Good night, Slamane. They say that fortune is a woman. For me, that woman was Gabby Trenot. For such a woman, Pepe Lamoco might leave the Caspar. But fortune alone cannot be trusted. Even one's best friend cannot be trusted. And for many months in the Algiers prison, I had been holding an old friend of Pepe's named Carlo Ferron. The treacherous dog wished to purchase his freedom, and so we made an agreement. Oh, Carlo, it's, it's wonderful to see you again. You're a hard man to reach, Pepe. <laughs> they certainly protect you around here. Uh, you mustn't mind Morrow. He doesn't trust anybody. This rat has to pick him out, Pepe. He's my friend. He says he broke out of jail. I don't believe it. It's not so easy, Pepe. I said he's my friend. You see, Carlo, it's not much like the old days, is it? Ah, those days in Paris. Paris. <laughs> you and I, Carlo, the thieves of the Montmartre. We could do it again, Pepe. Leave the Cosma? Why not? No, Pepe, no. Shut up. Paris, Pepe. The ah, Champs-Élysées, the Bois de Boulogne, the Tour d'Argent. Ah, once everything I wanted was here in the Casbah. It's not for you, Pepe. This place. Last night it closed in, like, uh, like a prison. Don't listen to him, Pepe. Pepe, there must be so many things you want outside the Casbah. I've got to get out of here, Carlo. Ah, when can we leave? Tonight. Tonight, Carlo, the festival of the Ramadan begins. There'll be many tourists. We can slip through the gate. Pepe, the police, they'll get you. Tonight, tonight, Pepe. It's that woman at Odette's last night. You're leaving for her. I've got to get out, Inez. I'm fed up. All right, run to your woman. See how far you'll get. You know when you leave the Casbah, Pepe. <laughs> when they carry you out, that's when you leave. <laughs> There's the gate, Pepe. A little further, and you'll be free of the Casbah. Paris. The Riviera. Ah, you're a good friend, Carlo. <laughs> Am I, Pepe? Pepe! Pepe! Inez! Pepe, don't go. Inez, please. It might be a trap. Come on, Pepe. Oh, Pepe. You don't have to leave the Casbah. What? Your lady friend. She's come back. Here? In the Casbah. Thank you, Inez. Come on, Carlo. But, Pepe... Ah, oh, it's a wonderful night, Carlo. Too beautiful a night to disappoint a lady. <laughs> love, love, hooray for love.
are listening to Screen Directors Playhouse production of Casbah, starring Tony Martin and Marta Torin, and introduced by the director of the film, Mr. John Barry. Now, back to our Screen Directors Playhouse story, Casbah, starring Tony Martin and Marta Torin. Let me tell you, only a fool trusts to fortune, and I was a very foolish policeman. When Gabby Trenot and her fiancé returned to the Casbah that night, the bait was stolen from my trap. For why should Pepe Lemoker leave the Caspar? And the one thing he wanted was now within its walls. Gabby. Pepe. Gabby, you've come back. I, we came back for the festival. Is that all? Tomorrow we sail. We, we didn't want to miss it. Then see it, Gabby. See no, it with Pepe. me. We'll see it together, Gabby. But, but Claude, he's waiting. Forget Claude. Walk with me, Gabby. Up these steps to my balcony. Pepe, I shouldn't have come back. You had to. Here in the Casbah, Gabby, you must believe in fate. Fate? What is that? It was written in the stars. What was written in the stars shall be. It was written in the skies that the heart and not the eyes shall see. And so, whether it bring joy, whether it bring woe, it shall be done. Now, suddenly I know you are the one here as in a daydream by my side you stand here with my tomorrows in your hand it was written high above that I have to have your love or I'll never be free and cloudy though the day be Crazy though I may be What the stars foretold Shall be And so Shall it be Doesn't it stay dark? I'll make it dark, light, anything you want, Gabby. <laughs> Suppose I want rainbows. I'll make you want to wear in your hair. But rainbows disappear. Ours won't. Ours just did, Peppy. Listen, I must go back now. They sail without me. Wonderful. No, Peppy. You don't really want me. You're what I want, Gabby. Stay. Here? In the Casper? I'll get out of here any day now. Please. We'll go to Paris. Please. 
Don't make it difficult for me. Then go if that's what you want. Goodbye, Peppy. I... Oh, no. It's not what I want. Gabby, Gabby. I didn't think I would ever feel this way. You can go, Gabby. But I'll follow you. No, the police. Then stay. I'll come back. When? Tonight. You promise? Yes. Yes, I promise. Tonight, at Odette's. Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. That day the ship sailed without Gabby Trenot. Such is love. She registered at the Hotel Oasis in Algiers. That night she would return to Pepe in the Casbah. And then, what of Inspector Slimane? What of my trap? A simple policeman must do what he can. So I went to see Gabby Trenot to break her heart and catch a thief. Mademoiselle, you know, I beg you, do not return to the Caspar. But, Inspector... There's still time. Go back to Paris. The plane leaves in the morning. Inspector, I've made up my mind. I'm sorry. Then I must tell you. Forgive me. Tell me what? It's Pepe. A uh, regrettable incident. Pepe? Has something happened to him? A half hour ago, Mademoiselle... Pepe was stabbed with Inez, the girl in the Caspar. He's dead. Oh, no. Now, mademoiselle, I shall make your reservations for the plane to pass. Peppy, you seem very happy this afternoon. Ah, uh, Slimane, I almost went to Paris yesterday. Wouldn't you have liked that? Why didn't you? Paris came to me. Oh, but Peppy, you'll want to see her again? I'm going to. Tonight, it's all arranged. <laughs> I know, Peppy, it's all arranged. That's what amuses me. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I made a trap, Peppy, and you're walking right into it. Carlo, it, it's after ten. Why hasn't she come? Oh, you know women, Pepe. Always late. I'm worried. I, I can't figure it out. Carlo, I want you to go outside and find out what you can. All right, Pepe. Leave it to me. And hurry, Carlo. Pepe, where is he going? Leave him alone, Morrow. He's my friend. I don't believe it. Then follow him. Watch him. I don't care what you do. I will, Pepe. And tell Odette I'll be in the back room if Mademoiselle Trenot arrives. I found her. Carlo, where? She's at the Hotel Oasis. Why hasn't she come here? I don't know, Pepe. Don't believe him, Pepe. He's lying. It's a trick. Let's go, Carlo. Just a moment, Pepe. I'm leaving, Moro. I followed your friend. Ask him how he knows all this. Carlo. Well, he... Carlo, how do you know? Well, uh, Pepe, I... He went to Slimane. That's how he knows. No, no, Pepe. It isn't true. It's true, Pepe. <laughs> Carlo, 
my friend. Moral. Wait, Pepe. I'll tell you. Slimane. Slimane planned it. Yes, he, he said he'd get me out of prison if I helped him. I didn't want to, Pepe. The truth, Carlo, the truth. The hotel is surrounded. They're waiting for you. She didn't leave on the ship. Slimane told her you were killed. That's why she didn't come, Pepe. Slimane told her I was dead? She's leaving for Paris on the morning plane. Six o'clock, Pepe. Thank you, Carlo. Pepe, don't kill me. I'm your friend. Your friend, Pepe. Inez, come on. Moreau? I'll stay with your friend, Pepe. No! No, Pepe! Don't leave me with him! Please, Pepe, I beg you, please! 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 Pepe, I'm warning you. Don't leave me for that woman. This time I'm going, Inez, for good. Listen to me, Pepe. Inez, please, this isn't the first time a thing like this has happened. No, Pepe, no. But I'll tell you this. For you... It will be the last. Mademoiselle Inez, you shouldn't have come to the Hotel Oasis. Now I'm afraid we can't let you leave again. I came to see you, Slimane. It's Pepe. He won't be coming here. He knows you're waiting. He's going to the airport to meet her. Paris, flight four, now boarding and ready for takeoff. Here, here, let me through. Gabby! Let me through. Have your ticket, please. Ticket, Have I don't ticket. know. No, I... Gabby! Gabby! It's too late, Pepe. Gabby! She's already aboard the plane. Slamane. You left the Caspar, Pepe. Just as I said you would. But the plane, it's ready for takeoff. Just let me say goodbye. No, Pepe. Gabby! Gabby! Wait! Pepe! Pepe! Stop! Gabby! Pepe! I warn you! Pepe. I'm sorry. I, I guess you win, Slimane. Was it worth it? This game of mine. Sure. Sure it was. You got Pepe Lamoco. You're a great man. A great man. And Gabby, she'll forget, won't she, Slimane? I don't know, Pepe. She, she'll be in Paris soon. Paris? Slimane? Uh, yes, Pepe. I... I think I'm glad I left the Caspar. Now I can... I can see... Paris. Goodbye, Pepe. Goodbye, my friend. just heard the last act of Caspar. In just a moment, tonight's stars, Tony Martin and Martha Torrin and screen director John Barry will return to the microphone.
Most people think of Hollywood as Glamour Town, USA. Well, I suppose that's true, if you believe all the publicity stories you read about it. But when you live out here, as I do, you begin to realize that most of the movie stars lead normal lives, just like you and me. When they entertain, the chances are they'll serve a simple buffet supper, consisting of, well, perhaps some cold cuts, a simple salad, and cold bottles of Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. Everything in perfect taste. Blue Ribbon taste. And it's that Blue Ribbon taste that makes this internationally famous beer so popular here in Hollywood. For instance, I happen to know that Pabst Blue Ribbon is served in the home of Pepe Lamoco, who is standing right here beside me. Pepe Lamoco, of course, is none other than Tony Martin. Tony, it's true, isn't it, that you serve Pabst Blue Ribbon in your home? Pabst Blue Ribbon it is, Jimmy. Well, Marta, how'd you like playing Gabby Trineau on the air? Fine, Tony. And I think this is a good time for both of us to thank John Barry for a grand job of direction on the film. That's right, John. We, we learned an awful lot from you, and we had a swell time making the picture with you, too. Thank you, Tony. I had a swell time doing it with both of you, and I'm very glad that both you and Marta could appear on the show today. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Good night, John. Good night, Martha. And good night to you, Tony Martin, Martha Torn, and John Barry. Next week on Screen Directors Playhouse. Pabst Blue Ribbon presents a story of adventure in the Orient, Saigon, starring Alan Ladd. Tonight's play, Kasbah, is a Marston production released by Universal International Studios, whose current picture is Once More, My Darling, starring Robert Montgomery and Anne Blythe. Tony Martin is soon to appear in a musical based on the lives of the vaudeville team of Van and Skank. Marta Torrin will soon be seen with Dana Andrews in Sword in the Desert, a Universal International picture. John Barry's latest film is the Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer production, Tension, starring Audrey Totter, Richard Basehart, and Barry Sullivan. Included in tonight's cast were Herbert Butterfield, Lorene Tuttle, Ed Max, Ted Von Elst, Donald Morrison, and Dan Riss. Kasbah was adapted for radio by Richard Allen Simmons, and original music was composed and conducted by Henry Russell. Screen Director's Playhouse was produced by Howard Wiley, with dramatic direction by Bill Karn. Listen again next week when Pabst Blue Ribbon presents... Screen Director's Playhouse, Production, Saigon, Director, Leslie Fenton, Star, Alan Ladd. Screen Director's Playhouse is brought to you by the Pabst Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Newark, New Jersey, and Peoria, Illinois, and sent your way with the best wishes of the Pabst Blue Ribbon dealers from coast to coast. James Wallington speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That's the Screen Directors Playhouse from July 22, 1949, with Kasbah, starring Tony Martin, also in that cast, Marta Torin, her Butterfield, Lorene Tuttle, with John Barry as the Screen Director. That was heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed that.
All right, time now for a quarter-hour episode of Guest Star. This was a variety show. It aired in the 1940s and 1950s. It was a public service radio show produced by the United States Treasury Department, and it promoted the need and importance of buying savings bonds. Major guest stars were heard in each and every show, including Jack Benny, James Stewart, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby. On this particular show, We have Frank Lovejoy in a program called Nothing Happens Here. Let's go back to June 8th, 1952 for a quarter hour episode now of Guest Star. The United States Treasury Department presents Guest Star with Harry Sosnick and the Defense Bonds Orchestra. Yours truly, John Conti, and starring Frank Lovejoy. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is John Conti, your host for Guest Star, a transcribed feature for Defense Bonds, presented by this station as a public service. In a moment, our popular guest. But first, here's Harry Sosnick to lead the Defense Bonds Orchestra in his own arrangement of Dizzy Fingers. It's my pleasure to introduce our guest, the dramatic star of radio and motion pictures, Frank Lovejoy. He appears in an original sketch entitled, Nothing Happens Here. 
For the performance of Frank Lovejoy, we take you to Hollywood. Time to write a letter before I hit the sack. Dear Mother and everybody, I've been in Korea just one year today, and I'm still okay. Nothing happens here where I am because I'm 30 miles from the front. Hey, Joe. Joe, is Doc around here? Well, Doc Adams? No, I haven't seen him. What's up? Oh, Ralph's got a cramp in his stomach. Boy, I mean he's got it. I can't find the Doc. Well, try the South Ward. There's a little moose over there. Oh, I get you. Well, I'll see you later, kid. Go on and finish your letter. Okay, let's see now. Uh, 30 miles from the front. Hmm. I've got a soft job on guard duty. Nothing happens here. It's just that... Well, he didn't wait for Doc. Sarge took Ralph over in the Jeep. Pretty bad, huh? Yeah, he's all cramped up like a pretzel. Now we'll have to take over his trick at guard duty. Sarge says you get two hours of it. Okay, uh, ten to twelve? Ten to twelve, nothing. Right now, bub. Oh, doggone, I want to finish this letter. Oh, your girlfriend? No, no, it's a letter home. And stop reading it over my shoulder. Yeah, got a soft job on guard duty. <laughs> oh, boy, you can say that again. Cut it out, will you? Nothing ever happens here. Well, Joe, if you don't get out there with your little pop gun on your shoulder, plenty will happen to you, my friend. Yeah, two more hours, a ring around a rosy, guarding an ammunition dump. Who wants to steal warheads for oh, torpedoes? Oh, now, just the same. Sarge says to keep an eye peeled. You're lucky at that. Sarge put me on the paint detail this morning. A coat of green paint over all them shacks. All right, okay, all right. Here, read the rest of my letters while I'm gone. And don't get green paint on them. Lonesome out here. It's pretty, though. The stars. What was that poem? Silently, one by one, in the infinite meadows of heaven blossom the lovely stars, the forget-me-nots of the angels. Hey. Hey, you, halt! Advance and be recognized. I say, come here. Uh, I'm not doing anything. I guess I'm lost. Are you sure are, mister? This is restricted territory. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm uh, new here, trying to find the PX. Well, you are lost. It's over that way. What's the password? Ballerina. Okay, what are you, replacement? Yeah. What outfit? 40th. Well, you seem to know the answers. Let me turn on my flashlight, get a look at you. Hi. I mean, okay. Hmm. Kind of foreign looking. Where are you from? Why do you ask all those questions? If you don't believe me, then take me to the guardhouse. Yeah, but I'll ask you and your answer. Now, where are you from? Take me to the guardhouse. What's the matter with you? Stop pulling away or I'll bust you one. Now, answer me. Take me to the guardhouse, quick. Stand still, William. Well, the next time, I'll belt you a good one. If you... Hey, you got paint on you. Green paint. You've been messing around those buildings. Take me away from here. To the guardhouse. You want away from here, huh? Could it be because you planted a bomb in one of those shacks? I don't know what you're talking about. In that case, you won't mind sticking around a while. Now, come on. We're going over there. Huh. Don't take me away. What shack did you plant it in? Come on, which one? I won't tell you. Okay. We'll sit down right here in this empty ammo boxes, and when the dump blows, we'll blow with it. All right. All right. Yes. I planted a suitcase charge. In which building? They told me there wouldn't be a guard on duty. 
Oh, so Ralph was poisoned. Why, you crummy, dirty, sneaking rat. Which building? I, I, I don't know. All these buildings look alike now. I got lost trying to get out of here. When is it time to let loose? In, in ten minutes. That was seven or eight minutes ago. We gotta get out of here. Let the whole post blow up while there's still a chance to find it. Come on, Rat, you and I are going hunting for a door with smeared paint on it. Here it is, paint smears on the door. This is the building. Let me go. It'll blow up in less than a minute. We couldn't get far enough away anyhow. Locked. How did you get in? I, I, I picked the lock. Then pick it again. No, it's not time. It took me five minutes before. Then break the door down. Go on. Don't shoot me. I won't shoot you. Concussion might set the charge off. I'll just beat your brains out. Now go on, hit it. My shoulder. Once more, hit it. Good. Now march in there and show me where you put it. Go on, every second counts. Over there. Oh, yeah, I see it. Like I had bomb disposal training in the other war, I'll have this thing deloused in half a minute. I should live so long. There now. Well, that does it. It's all over, bud. Well, he's fainted. Imagine that. No guts at all. Hey! Hey, Joe, good news. The spy you captured is a guy they've been hunting for two years. Hey, and Ralph is going to be all right. That's well, Charlie. Oh, uh, yeah, the uh, intelligence wants to see you in about a half hour. Sarge says keep it quiet. Okay. I'll have time to finish the letter now. Let me see. Nothing happens here. It's just the same old routine day after day. When I get out of this man's army... Thanks again, Frank Lovejoy, for being with us. Back in New York, Harry Sosnick leads the Defense Bonds Orchestra in his own arrangement of Cole Porter's After You.
have been listening to Guest Star, a transcribed feature for Defense Bonds presented by this station each week as a public service. May I express our thanks for a fine performance to our star, Frank Lovejoy, and to his supporting players, Peter Leeds and William Tracy, and his director, Louis Graff. Next week, we'll have another famous guest and more good music by Harry Sosnick and the Defense Bonds Orchestra, so we hope you'll join us. Meanwhile, this is John Conti saying so long and reminding you to sign up now for the payroll savings plan where you work for the regular purchase of United States defense bonds. Remember, defense is your job, too. And that's Guest Star from June 8th, 1952, starring Frank Lovejoy in a program called Nothing Happens Here. Also in that cast, Peter Leeds and William Tracy. That was sponsored by the Treasury Department. Hope you enjoyed it. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. We will be back next Saturday night at 10 p.m. with Chuck full of more classic radio. We've got The Adventures of Sam Spade Detective, My Friend Irma, Crime Classics, The Whistler, The Great Gildersleeve, The Cisco Kid, Escape, and Vic and Sade. That's a lot of radio shows. It's a lot, a lot of, but if you love classic radio, this is the show for you. That's right. We'll see you next week right here on WGN, the greatest station in the world. Thanks for listening.